Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. sacrament to do service with the deacon commune to you and my foot is just bad enough that I can't stand in front of the altar for an hour's mass uh, so, and besides that I was asked to do this preaching assignment about two weeks ago so I prepared for the epistle of the mass and not for the daily office readings so we're going to have to do some shifting in gears here uh, it just is what it is What's really important, you know, we have a rhythm in our own spiritual lives. We have a rhythm and the parish has a rhythm. It's really important that we keep those two things always going and moving and staying on. So in the parish, we have to have, we need to have a service. We need not to cancel everything. Even if we only did grocery or something like that, it's important that the rhythm of the parish continue to function in some capacity. And also it's good for us. People who can't be here today, and they're they're either watching or they're going elsewhere, and that's good. The rhythm of spiritual life is so important. So, as part of that rhythm today, I, I, I want to just so I have to read this to you very briefly. The lesson that is assigned for the mass for today on this sixth Sunday after Epiphany this is from Saint John's first epistle, chapter three. He said, "Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God." Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed to us what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who see, has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as Christ is righteous. He who <coughs> sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. That one verse that I want to focus on in a sense is this. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Believe it or not, this is about the importance of repentance, and that's why I wanted to bring this up and, and, and focus on this today. If you think about what the works of the devil means, uh, <clears throat> The concept means that what we find, at least in the faith, is not that the devil tempted us to sin, uh, which is easy to do, but the outcome of what sin does, it separates us from God. And so what really the devil is trying to do is not get us to goof up, but to get us to separate ourselves from God. So, number one, tempt us to act contrary to what God has revealed. Did God say, he asks? And the temptation from our culture and our society is to wonder whether all the things that we claim are really true, are really valid, are really worth anything. Did God really say that? Did he really establish this church? Did he really mean for us to do what we do? Separate us from God and get us out there on our own. We're very vulnerable that way. The second one is to believe contrary to what God has revealed. 
It's, it's interesting that the fundamental principle of Christianity is that Jesus Christ is God incarnate, something we've been celebrating since nativity and even beyond. All year long we celebrate this. It's a fundamental principle of Christianity. And yet I find that in this age it's more and more prevalent that people are beginning to doubt, people who call themselves Christians are beginning to doubt whether this is so. So where is that coming from? Is it coming from our wisdom and our insight? Or is there something else going on that's trying to keep us from believing the very thing that will establish life in us and give us meaning and purpose? So, believe contrary to what God has revealed. Separate us from Him. That's what He does. So we wind up becoming separated in thought and in deed. So, I mean, if, 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 this, if Christ is not God, then we don't have to listen to anything He said. And he said, I came to fulfill the law and the prophets. If you love me, obey my commandments. Well, if he's not God, who is that? If I said that to you about me, you'd, you'd, you'd scoff at me, you see? And so that's what people are doing. They don't believe he's God anymore. They don't believe he's God incarnate, a fundamental principle of Christianity. So why bother following what he says? So what do we do? We make up our own rules and our own guidelines. This is separation from God. We want to put an end to that. So the purpose, if you will, of God in the Incarnation, and the Orthodox principle of this, is that God restores, by becoming incarnate, He restores the relationship between us and Him. He rejoins us, if you will. God became man that we might become like God. He properly reactivates our ability to respond to Him. So we have to participate with this, but He, proper, he reactivates it, so to speak. We are born again. We are re rejuvenated. We are illuminated. We are deified. All these things, God does this to restore us into this relationship with Him. If we are here, it's because we understand this and we come to be joined, to be joined to Him. In other words, in order to experience God, we have to enter into the discipline of repentance. <laughs> Nobody wants to hear about repentance. I once had a parishioner tell me, Father, we don't listen to that stuff. We just want positive strokes. Well, I want to tell you something. Repentance is one of the most positive strokes we can get. But because we think wrongly, having been separated from God, we think that's something that's bad. Oh, I don't want to do that. You people are so negative. <laughs> this is life-giving. Repentance is life-giving. So we need to know that. He comes to destroy the works of the devil. Get us to think differently. Repentance means, as I've said in other classes and some probably even sermons, it means to turn around, to turn from this way to this way, to face Him. Because normally we have our backs turned. It means to have a change of mind, to begin to think and see and perceive reality differently. That's what repentance means, according to biblical things. Well, that's a different perspective. See, we think it means, well, don't goof up. Don't goof up. And we all goof up. You know, one of the things I hate about preaching and, and teaching classes is that no matter what I say to you, I guarantee you by the end of the day, I'm going to have to practice what I preach. And sometimes I think, you know, at best just keep my mouth shut and we just be better off. But it happens. It's the way it works. We have, to, we have to believe it, and then we have to learn to do it. And it joins us to God. It reunites us to Him. So two things that St. John says in this epistle that we can take from this, this is not comprehensive of all of repentance, but two things we really do need to learn. 
All who experience this truth set out to purify themselves, to rectify themselves in the face of God, which whatever, whatever we have to do to respond to. For us, faith is not just believing in what God has done, but it's responding to it. So you have God's action and our response. That's a part of what faith is. So anyone who hears this and wants to do something must begin with the, with the issue of purifying himself. What do I have to do to purify myself to make it possible for God to come into my heart? Because he's not going to force himself on me. He wants me to willingly invite him in. What do I have to do? Well, one thing I have to look, look at myself. I have to be willing to look at myself and see what my sin is that keeps God out. <clears throat> And it's not a pleasant sight. You know, I've said this before and I say it again. Um, look at the self-examination in, in the back of the St. Ambrose prayer book. And take a good look at yourself while you're doing it. You know, you just, by the time you get through that, I can't handle any more of this. Uh, just, it's too much. We don't want to see them. But when we do see, we begin to be restored to God. So what seems negative in the eyes of the world is really healing and life-giving. So we want that. That's what we want. And if it's any consolation, everybody in this room has the same issue. So you're in good company. Scripture calls it a great cloud of witnesses. Well, not just the ones in heaven, but here. And even the saints in heaven would tell us they've been down this road. They know all about it. So there's a willingness to see. By the way, the lessons for this week in the daily office lectionary in the Western Rite this week, Monday through Friday, are from Lamentations. Lamentations was written by, supposedly by, by Jeremiah the prophet after the fall of Jerusalem in, 80, in 586 BC. And Lamentations is sort of lamenting of the fall of the city, but it's also a type of the lamenting of the fall of man from the Garden of Eden. And so the Lamentations is used, we look, you can read Lamentations and think about our own condition and lament before God. I mean, that's part of what they're trying to tell us. Lament before God and then seek to do something about it. Be willing to look within and then admit what's there. Admit it. Ugh. I don't want to admit this stuff. God, it's not my fault. It's the woman that you gave me or it's the people or it's the church or it's, it's the society in which I live or the country in which I live. There's always something else out there, but it's, it's my fault. I have done it. As we say in, in the Latin translation of the prayers and the preparation before the altar, that the altar party says, mea culpa, mea culpa, my fault, my own grievous, grievous fault. And the second one is, he says, in him there is no sin. I remember a time, I haven't heard this in recent years, so maybe things are changing in some, in some ways, but there was a time when there were groups of Christians who took this literally, and said that that means that once we are saved, we no longer sin. But elsewhere, St. John says in the same epistle, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And some would say, well, that's because he was writing that to pagans, but guess what? All those epistles in the New Testament were written to Christians, not to the non-believers, written to the people of the faith. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And so, there is sin. However, when we come into this journey, we will begin because we want to have it participate in that restoration to God and Him to us. We want to get rid of the things that separate us from Him. 
So we, we will willingly give those things up. In Acts 19, uh, there's a story of those who practice the black arts. Uh, and they came into the church and they saw a miracle that had to do with the deliverance of a demon. And they promptly brought their books to the church and burned them. They willingly gave up those practices. And we do that. We have to be willing. So having, having seen our sins, what are we going to do about it? Are we willing to give it up? There's an old prayer in the confessional rite, which I like the old language best. The new language reads something like, I will try to do better. That's what the Catholic Church uses in some in other places, and, and, and sometimes it gets handed on to us. But the old English word says, I firmly purpose amendment of life. Those are powerful words. I firmly purpose amendment of life. That's what repentance is. So I'm willing to admit, and then I'm going to do what I can, what's on my end of the deal, to change it. That's what I'll do. Now, let's just take a step aside for just a second. Not really, but just a second. The gospel for today was from Matthew 24, the out Jesus outline of the last times. If you want to know what the last times are supposed to look like, look at his outline. That was the outline of the early church, not Revelation, Matthew 24. And so it provides an outline, and so this, by that, the, the, the church is telling us to be prepared for the end. But we're not at the end, are we? Well, this is the last Sunday after Epiphany. Starting next week, we slip into pre-Lent, and then Lent, and then Holy Week, until we begin the descent with Christ down into the abode of the dead. <clears throat> so, so toward Good Friday, toward Calvary, we begin a liturgical and spiritual descent in that direction. And this is last Sunday is setting us up for that. It's really interesting. We're looking forward to the resurrection and the celebration of the resurrection, but the action of God uniting himself to humanity culminates in his entering into death because death is the ultimate byproduct of sin and separation from God. Separation from him in eternity, from our bodies, from ourselves, and from him. And yet when he becomes incarnate, he even goes down into the depths of death and hell, something that God cannot even experience. And yet he does. He willingly goes there so as to unite death to himself. And hence we can say, death hath no sting. Where is your sting, O oh death? We're not afraid of that anymore because God is there and we're no longer separated. And so Good Friday is the culmination of that manifestation of God himself. And we've been listening to text after text and celebration after celebration from nativity about God manifests himself to us. He wants us to see this. He wants us to see. And not only to see, but to experience it. And so... Lent is preparation for Good Friday. And pre-Lent, which starts next week, is preparation for Lent. And the sixth Sunday after Epiphany is preparation for pre-Lent and Lent and Good Friday. It's all wrapped up in this theme of repentance. Repentance, repentance, repentance. And if you get into spirituality, Orthodox spirituality, you know that the monastics all say, we have to learn to repent. Great saint, I can't remember his name, who was on his deathbed, and one, other, one of his disciples went to him and said, Master, are you ready to go? And he said, no, I haven't yet learned to repent. This is a guy who'd spent a lifetime, 80 years, in doing this, and he hadn't felt like he'd be good. I would add here about Friday, 
in Jewish tradition, Friday is the day on which Adam was created. Friday is the day on which we are recreated. Beginning and the end, and all of eternity, in between, enduring. Wow, we're headed there. That's where we want to go. So repentance is a preparation, not just to be joined to God, but for eternity, since God is eternity. And we are stepping into eternity. And three things in how we do this, by implication in the text. Remember this as the weeks following come about. This should be an important task for us. Willingly look within. Take time to do it. I like to do this on Fridays, because Christ went to the cross on Friday, and that's a good day. So that's my day to remember for me. You may have another time, it's okay. Accept responsibility for what you see. Don't try to talk and offer, explain it or anything. Accept responsibility for it and ask for forgiveness. You know, the story of the tax collector and the Pharisee is really important. Uh, and, and I, but I think we misunderstand it sometimes. Remember the Pharisee went into the temple and he said, I thank you God that I'm not like other men. And we think, oh, how self-righteous can you be? But actually, he had it right. I thank you, God, that I am not like other men. I remember one time seeing a guy who was a transient outside a church where I worked many, many years ago. And as he walked by the church, I thought, well, I'm sure glad that hasn't happened to me. Uh, and I actually said those words. I thank you, God, that I'm not like this guy. And then this story went through my mind. But I misunderstood the story. Because God had saved me from being in that, in that situation. I could have gone that way easily, but I didn't. And yet, I also shared something in common with that individual, sin. Uh, in this story, the tax collector, the Pharisee, never gets around to the point of why he was there. And yet the tax collector has so many sins, does one thing. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. He repented. And Jesus' question is, which of them went away forgiven? So his whole point of the parable is not whether God does these things in us, which he does, but who goes away forgiveness, but gets getting forgiveness and restored to God, and under what terms? He, the tax collector who repented. So he accepted responsibility for his sins and turned around, and he was restored to God. And the last one is for us to resolve, as we've already established, to work on these things. Lent is a great time because it reminds us to do this. And our focus is on this. And remember, I've said this on other occasions. On other occasions, you've probably heard this until, I'm, until you're sick of hearing it. But when we fall down, we have to get up and keep going. Falling down doesn't mean stop. Years ago, when I was teaching in a Catholic high school, I used to like to ask the students before Lent, have you prepared your Lenten discipline? Oh, yes, everybody raised their hands. Uh, everybody, every one of them did. And that's okay. So a week into Lent, I would say, how many of you failed in your Lenten discipline this week? Almost everyone raised a hand. How many of you have gotten up and started over? Only one or two hands went up. I find it's common that people have a Lenten discipline. They fail in the first week and they quit. We can't do that. And the thing about Lent is we have this this microcosm, if you will, of our disciplines, which helps us to focus on doing it. And once we get through Lent successfully, we will find, I want to keep doing this. And it's easier. And every year we go through this regimen and it gets easier and easier to do these hard things. And every time these little things get more and more precise for us, the, 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 the vastness of eternity opens to us. We begin to encounter God and experience it. 
I'm going to end here with a, a, a word from St. Sophroni of Essence. Prayer of repentance is real prayer. Each of us bears, so to speak, one or another form of sin within himself. Because of this, for us, the natural prayer is prayer of repentance. But in a wondrous way, precisely by this, the person is born. Wow. That's not, that's not the thinking of the world, the logic of the world, is it? It's entirely different. And yet, it opens to us the great vistas of the being of God. Boy, is that what we want? Of course. And thank God that we have been privileged to come to understand that, to come to participate in it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen.